But it's an ongoing thing. You're always assessing. That's what we do all day long. We're assessing risk. Yeah. You know, when you're driving, you're assessing risk. Yeah. Everything you do. Yeah. Hey, everyone. My name is Al Gugliotta, and I want to welcome you to the Unlearning Project. Hi, Virginia. Hey, Al. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So risk assessment today. Okay. Ah, it sounds dry. It sounds like uh, some guy doing like actuarial tables or, what? <laughs> you know, like some like nerd with like a pencil thing in his pocket, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? Pencil protector? <laughs> pencil protector, right. <laughs> but we all have it. Like, so we have like our own personal risk managements. So I just wanted to talk about a few different topics when it comes to risk. Money's the big one. I think you mentioned to me before we started, let's try to get back to what we learned as kids and what we're trying to unlearn. Right. And so that set me off down this path. Like the main idea of the show is like the unlearning of yeah garbage that's ingrained in us. Yeah. I mean, things that affect your life. And so, oh my God, like money. Mm-hmm. So my parents were always good savers. Oh, Always paid their bills, basically always were frugal, but never invested. Mm. All they did was CDs, savings accounts, CDs, series EE bonds. Those are like old school bonds that make no money. You don't even know what they are. (laughs) I don't even know what that is. I know what CDs are. So I wonder if that is a thing of like that generation, because my dad did CDs. And that was my first stage of investing was him showing me what he did with those. And so even in like the early 2000s, I mean, the rates on CDs were great at that time. Like they're garbage now, but yes, you could get, you know, closer to 10% on those. I mean, five, six, seven. Well, it seems they always move in tandem with Lending rates. Yeah. You know, there was in the 80s, I think people were getting like, I don't know, 16 or 18% on a savings account. Yeah. But then to get a loan, you'd pay 16 or 18%. So that's what your parents did too, then. So that's interesting. They did. And all they had to do in order to make their net worth, I would say five times the amount. So just to give like ballpark figures, not that it really matters. My parents are both passed away. <laughs> but like before my mom went through the whole dementia thing, she had a net worth of like probably half a million bucks. Mm-hmm. And that's like on blue collar wages, yeah. saving every penny. If she would have just literally thrown that in like a random mutual fund, something that just tracked the stock market. Right. Anything, like pretty much anything. Just go to Fidelity's website, pick a fund, throw a dart at a board. And just plunk all that money in there. She would have done that over time. Oh, yeah. She would have easily had like two or $3 million. Right. If not more. I mean, I think I'm underestimating. Right. The power of like just investing. If she would have just thrown it in there and literally like threw the statement away, didn't have a login for online, anything, just made believe it wasn't even there. Right. They would have had so much more money. And not that money is everything, but think of how different... A half a million dollars is to like $3 million. I mean, it's a Mm. huge difference. Right. Well, especially for you, since you had to deal with dementia care for her and elder care and, you know, those end of life stages. Right. I mean, hopefully a half a million covered that, but barely. Yes. I mean, I don't think any of us are looking around going, yes, half a million. I've got it made. I'm done. Right. I mean, that's just not going to cut it now. It's not. Yeah. And that's like literally having zero investment knowledge. Mm -hmm. If she would have just blindly just plunked it into a mutual fund. Right. Pretty much any, even a bad mutual fund, like one that didn't perform that great. Over time, it would have outperformed. So that half million you're saying, it's just purely like savings. And like a 2% interest rate, you know, like just. Okay. Like maybe a house that she had at one point, like some assets like that. Yeah. Sale of a house. Okay. CDs, savings accounts. That's it. Literally, that's it. No, like actual like 401k or any kind of investment account whatsoever. Well, IRA accounts. So you could have IRA accounts, but invest them in CDs. Right. So like, that's the problem. It's like, so she had these, the right accounts. Okay. But like she didn't just didn't invest it. 
it wasn't even in her wheelhouse as far as a possibility. Like mutual funds, what's that? Stock market, what's that? Yeah, because that's what I'm wondering if at that time, it just wasn't on their radar. No, not at all. And I don't think they ever, and I'm speaking for my parents too, I don't think they ever looked at things and said, okay, how do I track to make sure I have a million dollars or more or whatever it is? Like, I don't think they ever thought about that or had that conversation or anything. I think they were just hell no trying to, like you said, make it, pay the bills, save a little bit, yeah. send your kid to school, like just survive. My dad's best year ever, and he was the only one that worked in my household was I think 55 grand. Mm-hmm. And that's like with overtime and all kinds of stuff, like blue collar guy, you know, my parents had three children. We grew up in Long Island, which is an expensive place. It was a different mentality, hand to mouth. But I always remember my mom's credit card bill was like seven or 8,000. Mm. And she'd always pay like interest and in a little bit, but then it would jack back up, you know, over like the holidays or. Yeah. Even today's day, that's a pretty hefty credit card. It's a hefty credit card bill. And she didn't pay it off until the sale of her house. Huh. You know what I mean? So she carried that. I remember she sold her house in Long Island and she's like, finally, I could pay off this credit card. You know, I was like, yeah, that's crazy. Wow. That's how close to the edge they were living. Yeah. And again, we didn't do anything. We went to McDonald's like once a month. Maybe we had pizza once a month. Like we never went out to eat at like a nice restaurant. Never. Right. I don't remember any restaurants. Maybe like, I don't know, like Sizzler. (laughs) It's a long time ago. I don't know. What's a Sizzler? That must be in your area. Oh, what's a Sizzler? Not anymore. I don't even think they exist anymore. It was kind of like a buffet style. Okay. You ever hear like the Golden Corral? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of similar, like something like that. Okay. That'd be like going out to dinner, you know, like, man, we're going to the Sizzler. That was exciting for us. So yeah, so money-wise, so I always think of this thing with money and I'm thinking of two sides of risk. Like there's one side of risk where like you don't make any decision. You do nothing, which is what my parents did. Mm -hmm. Essentially did nothing. You put it in the bank. The bank said, hey, we can get you 2% on a CD. They're like, all right, whatever. Mm -hmm. No research, no nothing. Just let the bank take care of it. So you're risking something by not taking any risk, but then you're also risking something by taking risk. In their mind, they're like, I don't want to put it in the stock market. Like People lose all their money in the stock market. People still have that mentality of like, oh my God, I don't want the stock market, the stock market. I'm like, do you know what the stock market has done historically? I mean, do you have any context to decipher what the heck you're talking about? Like You're basically saying that the stock market just loses money and it's the opposite. Has it lost money? Yes. Has there been times where like you've lost money, but over long periods of time, it goes up. And normally it goes up anywhere from like eight to 10% roughly. If you average all the years, you know, eight to 10% annually. So I always think of that. So when people sit on the sideline, that's a risk. They think they're safe, but no, you're taking actually the biggest risk by not doing anything. Yeah. Right. That's where I don't know if that kind of narrative didn't exist for them. Yeah. Or why, like, did no one tell them that's a risk just to do nothing? Mm. And that that may be more of a risk than putting your money in. Like, all they could think of was the risk of putting your money into this thing that they don't truly understand. True. Versus it being a risk for them to do nothing and to not earn Not even like the rate of inflation. Yeah, exactly. They're not even outpacing inflation. So you're losing money like every year. Yeah, it's like basically putting it under your mattress kind of thing. But they did that with health too. So they did that with, you know, my parents smoked cigarettes my entire growing up. Ah. And that was before like it was all in the news and all about, you know, the Surgeon General warnings and like everybody smoked. And they smoked in the car with us kids, you know, like in the car. They didn't give a shit. They used to smoke in the house with no windows open. Well, and I don't think it's that they didn't give a shit. I just think they like did not know. Oh, I didn't mean. Yeah, I agree. I meant they didn't give a shit like, you know, whatever. (laughs) It's just like everything like the science and medical and risk from the medical field like wasn't published. It wasn't there. They didn't know. And so they were just doing this thing that was cool. Yes. That made you feel better. And yeah, they didn't know. Well, it's like the last episode when we talked about the FDA and the food pyramid and like, Mm -hmm. 
low sugar or whatever, low fat and like high sugar. Yeah. Yeah. But now we're noticing and understanding that it is the sugar that's actually the problem. Yes. Think about just diabetes, right? That's literally the cause of diabetes. It's all the sugar. Yeah. You could eat low fat all day long, but you're going to have diabetes if you're consuming too much sugar or like not enough or whatever it is. Your body can't process it. So everything's a risk, right? So everything, there's a risk on either side. It's just, which one do you want to take? That's the way I look at it. Especially let's start with money. Mm -hmm. There's a risk for investing in the market because you could put your money in the stock market and the very next day the market can tank. Yeah. Or you could have a four-year bear market as soon as you start investing. That could happen. Yeah. So I think it's interesting, the psychology behind... If I have a hundred dollars and I put that in, maybe I don't really mind losing a hundred dollars. Like that just sounds easier Mm. than if I had fifty thousand dollars and you're telling me to put it in something. I'd be like, well, yeah, but right now I have my fifty. True. And I don't want to lose it. Right. (laughs) So I think, of course, not only the mathematical truth of compounding, you know, say if you were to put in a hundred bucks a month or whatever it was versus waiting until you had a large sum of money to invest. Right. In both cases, it's better and easier, whether you're talking about the risk of the market or letting go of the money or any of those things, it's easier to start when you have the hundred. Yeah. And it's better. And what to do small increments, like you're saying, over time, small increments, you don't feel it. You don't feel like you're putting a lot at risk. Right. But what happens is if you do it successfully, by the time you are in your 40s, 50s, 60s, you've amassed a lot of wealth. Yeah. And then what do you do with that lump sum of money now? Because now it's still in the market, right? Yeah. You start dialing back risk at that point. Some people do, some people don't. I think if they understand the beast that they're working with, yes. Mm-hmm. Or if they have good advice, yes. But I think that's where our parents struggled was understanding the risk, the market, the pros and cons, all the things, and then just not doing it, thinking that they were avoiding losing their money. Agreed. I think it's also like money is very emotional. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't look at money as from a business standpoint or from like a data standpoint, Mm -hmm. you're going to knee jerk reaction in the wrong direction because nobody wants to lose money. They said that losing money is twice as painful as it is joyful to gain money, right? Or something along those lines. Yeah. Like people don't want to lose money. Yeah. Like they're horrified of losing money. But if you know the data on it, if you know, what has the stock market done since the 1920s until now? Right. Well, historically, it's done 8 to 10% per year. Yeah. On average. There's years where it was down 40%. You know, nobody wants those years, but it comes with the journey. Like, yeah. The journey comes with the negative 40%. Right. If you're not willing to weather that storm, you shouldn't be in the stock market to begin with. But this is the trick. It's like you could understand this intellectually all you want until it happens and you're feeling it. And it's like, you know, what's the word? Like You have to be able to manage the emotional piece at the same time you know it intellectually. Yeah. And it's hard. Because those emotions could completely overtake all of your sense and strategy and... Yeah. And I know we've talked about this in other episodes where, Mm -hmm. you know, all your good planning and all your intellectual knowledge goes out the window because you've made one stupid knee-jerk reaction in a bad market. And then you were scared to get back in. Yeah, And so money is a weird one. Money's always been like a strange... I found like the most successful people, at least I found, are the ones that just set it and forget it. Like it's that kind of... It's that idea is like, I don't even want to deal with this. I'm going to make a good decision up front. I'm going to set everything on autopilot. I'll pick a few good investments and then literally like forget about it. Mm -hmm. You can't tinker with it. You can't evaluate ongoing. That's the other thing. This is a weird thing because people are like, well, I want to evaluate it. I want to be informed. So when we talk about informed. And rebalance your portfolio and all this stuff. And I'm kind of like, I don't want to mess with it. (laughs) Don't mess with it. Right. Don't fuck with it. So few people do it. Mm -hmm. Even like with all the information out these days between friends and family, so few people do it. 
and they don't get it. It's like that whole compounding interest thing. This has probably been talked about on a million different podcasts, but yeah. like you would not believe how that works and how exponential like money can grow. Yeah. There was something I saw one time that the human brain like actually cannot understand it. No. Like we try and try and try and you can run the calculators and you can do all the things, but it's so powerful. The human brain cannot understand the actual power of compounding interest. Because I think our brain, I'm getting into an area that I'm not an expert in, but like linear, like our brain thinks linear. Yes. Like two plus two is four and four plus four is eight. You don't think about the multiples or the exponentials of it, you know? Yes. Because once you think about it, if you have a million dollars as opposed to having 10 grand, if you're making 10% on $10,000, $10,000 is a lot of money, right? Right. You've just made $1,000 in the course of a year. That same exact 10% on a million dollars, you've made $100,000 in that same year. And now you just keep going out like years and years later. Now you have 1,100,000 that you're going to make 10% on. Mm-hmm. It just grows and grows. And it's like, I always think of the snowball effects. Like you roll a little tiny snowball down the hill and it takes up a little snow, but you get a massive boulder of snow. Right. As it's rolling, it's just picking up even more and more snow. Right. The bigger it gets, the more it picks up. You know, at some point you're more than doubling every single time. Like it's just going crazy. That's right. And so I think people can't, their brains don't work that way. Like you said, it works Mm -hmm. linear. Like it works, well, if I save $10 and I save 10 more, then I'll have 20, you know, it's like, Yeah, but keep extrapolating that out. Yeah. Even if you started with a small number and you're just trying to do the mental math of like, all right, 100, then the next year is 110, and then the next year you earn 11, so then you're at 121, and like Mm -hmm. only a few times down the road can you just talk that out. Right. Before you're confused. (laughs) And that's just starting with like a very small number. It's true. The funny one that I just thought of, you ever hear the experiment where you have a penny? Oh, yeah. So you double the penny for 30 days straight, how much are you going to end up with? And it winds up being like millions upon millions of dollars. You wouldn't think, well, no, it's a penny because one penny turns into two pennies mm-hmm. and two to four and then four to eight. And you just keep doing that. And that's exponential growth Right at the end of 30 days. I don't have it in front of me. I don't even know what the yeah, end number is. I forgot is. what it is. Maybe we'll look it up. <laughs> it's millions though, I think. It's like literally like you would never, like my brain thinks of 30 days of doubling for one penny. I don't know. What are you going to have? A few thousand dollars? Right. Like, ah, uh, maybe that's 10 bucks, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So me on the high end, I'm thinking maybe a few thousand or whatever. It's like millions. That's crazy. But again, it's just math. It's nothing you know, beyond our comprehension. It's just, we don't naturally think that way. So you're saying they also took risk with health. What else? Oh God. In what other ways were you thinking about this risk assessment? I was thinking health. Yeah. So smoking, (laughs) the worst eating habits ever. Okay. Coffee all day long. I mean, I drink coffee too, but not, they were like champs, you know, like drinking coffee. I have some coffee here. No exercise. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. You have coffee. There you go. (laughs) No exercise. My dad would drink water. I've never seen my mom really drink water. My mom never ate a vegetable. Whoa. Never ate a vegetable. She's like, I don't like vegetables. I'm like, okay. Like ever. You never saw her eat something green. Like never. Wow. Yeah. And she lived till 80. And the last five years weren't good. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like quality of life or anything, but she still made it till 80 with smoking coffee. She didn't drink alcohol. So that was a good thing. She didn't do drugs. That was a good thing. Other drugs. Mm. They are drugs, I guess. Coffee and you know, cigarettes. Non-prescription. Non-prescription. Yeah. Yeah, Legal drugs. Right. Right. So yeah, for health, absolutely. Or even going to the doctor. Screw that. We're not going to the doctor. Mm. That's why I think about with this, you know, virus going around. If my parents were alive during this, they just wouldn't give a shit. Like they just, (laughs) they'd be those people that like everybody would be in their ear. Like you got to get the vaccine. Like you have to, you're over 60. Right. Cause they would be elderly at this point, like very at risk. Exactly. My mom'd be like, screw that. That's bullshit. You know, like <laughs> that was like, kind of like their attitude toward everything. So I grew up around that. Just everything's bullshit. So let me ask you, were they people that would have had a health insurance or no? Yes. So my dad had health insurance through his job. So he had like okay. a, 
nine to five kind of job, you know, very stable, worked for the city. So he had good benefits. Yeah. Because I always wonder if for people that don't want to go to the doctor and don't, I don't know, (laughs) I guess like take advantage of medicine, then maybe they don't have insurance or maybe there's a reason. And then I also thought about that because my dad was very like anti-insurance. He felt like they were just taking his money and that when he needed it, that they didn't pay what he expected. And he was to the extreme, like F insurance, like Uh hate all ranges of insurance. Yeah. So they even like moved out to the country and built their own house just so that he didn't have to pay homeowners insurance because of course in the city it's required. Whoa. I know. I never knew this. That's a great story. All right. Keep going with that. I felt like that is crazy risky. Yeah. Was he like a doomsdayer kind of guy too? Like with stockpile, like supplies? Um, Not really. I mean, he did start to build a basement, but he never finished it. But that was really only because there are tornadoes here. Okay. I mean, you kind of do need something, but he never like stockpiled supplies or anything okay. like that. That's wild. See, look at that. So in his mind. Right. You'd rather move out to the country and like build your own house and live in the forest, like with no neighbors for miles around you, just so that you don't have to pay homeowner's insurance. And if the house burns to the ground, it's on me. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's taking the risk. That's the whole point of insurance. If you don't have the insurance, then you burden the risk. Right. And like, as I got older, you know, when you're a kid, you're just like, okay, we're moving. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But then as I got older, it started to compute, you know, all the pieces started to go together. And I was just like, I don't think that's a good plan. (laughs) (laughs) No, not really. I mean, again, you can get away with it, right? I mean, you're taking a risk. This is the whole point. It's like, yeah, I mean, to this day, that house hasn't burnt down. So, you know, knock on wood. He still lives there. He doesn't. My mom does. Oh, Okay. Yeah. But still, okay. So then also to put that into perspective, you're out in the country. There's not really trash pickup. Right. So most people burn their trash. Oh, God. There are different burn bans that come out from the county or whatever for, you know, if it's a dry season or whatever, like, hey, no fires right now, stuff like that. But I mean, you live in the forest. Yeah. On. Mass amounts of acreage with no neighbors around, with country roads. Wow. The fire department out there is volunteer. (laughs) This is not a good risk assessment. (laughs) I mean, it's like living in the 1800s, right? I mean, they're going back a century. Yes. Wow. And he thought that was a better plan than living in the city just because he didn't want people to tell him what to do. See, that doesn't seem that crazy to me. I mean, I don't think (laughs) I would do it. It does sound weird. Like it's <laughs> off the spectrum of what's it's a little yeah. normal, I guess, but right. Wow. Yeah. But just growing up, you know, it's those little things that you're like, that's interesting. Why did they do that? What kind mm-hmm. of thought process was here? And yeah. So I kind of want to get into like, then how do you assess the risk, right? With anything. Mm-hmm. So in your in my case, with money. I've been around risk my whole life with money, you know, from Mm -hmm. very young, I started as a financial advisor. So I've just seen like the fluctuations of the market and the ups and downs, all of that stuff. And I feel okay with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to take a lot more risk than most people. And the funny thing is like, it didn't serve me well (laughs) for a long time. I lost a lot of money and a lot of stupid things. But I mean, the last five years have been made up for all of it, you know, so like just the way the markets have been. So again, but that's what my tolerance. So do you think that since you were in the profession and exposed to it daily, that that's why you were comfortable with it? Because that's how the human brain is with risk, right? Yeah. You look at those old pictures of the guys doing construction in New York and they're sitting out on a freaking beam, like hundreds of, I don't know how far up in the air. Oh my God. They weren't scared. That picture freaks me out. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I know what picture you're talking about. They have like their lunchbox next to them. They're like, 
Yes. Hell no. But see, they weren't scared because that was their environment. They were exposed to that every single day. Well, exposed is the word. So exposure therapy, like any psychiatrist or psychologist worth their salt mm-hmm. knows like anything having to do with anxiety, panic, and it's all about exposure. You have to expose yourself to it. Mm-hmm. The more you close yourself off from it, mm-hmm. the more fearful you'll become of that thing, right? Yes. So agoraphobia, for instance, you know, you're scared to leave the house. Right. What do you do with an agoraphobic? You slowly bring them outside the house, maybe just down in the mailbox. And then from the mailbox, you go down the road a little bit. Right. Or driving therapy. Maybe you start in a parking lot, right? Right. It's just, everything's just like building off the next thing. So I had to have happened in my case where I was just around it so long and you just start to see things and become more comfortable yeah. with those risk levels. And I think my parents, when it came to health, man, I mean, they did not take care of their health and just didn't care mm-hmm. or didn't know, but didn't seem to like research it or do anything to improve. Right. You know? Well, and even if you were not the professional, like neither of your parents were health professionals, okay? But even if they had a friend who was, they're more likely to have taken smarter steps with risk with their health. True. I think it was just an overall attitude. They had this overall attitude of like, don't whine, don't complain. Nobody wants to hear your shit. (laughs) You're not sick and you're not staying home from school unless you're like bleeding out the freaking eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Like everything was just this hard kind of stance with life. Uh You know, I told you about my mom not believing she had cancer when she was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. And I would tell her, she'd be like, that's bullshit. (laughs) I mean, she would think the same thing about like this virus. And I'm starting to think of all of the reasons why I think the way I do. And a lot of it has to do with this, like, just don't ever complain. You're fine. Yeah. Rub some dirt on it. You're fine. You know, (laughs) unless you're really not fine, like you're dying, you're fine. Yeah. You know, whereas like, I feel like we're so coddled and we coddled our children. We're like, is everything okay? Is everything fine? Is there, you know, we're on the opposite side of the spectrum and now our kids are becoming soft. Right. I know we've gone down this path too, but it goes into the kids thing. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of touch upon risk assessment with kids. Okay. So I have a friend and he'll enjoy this because he listens to the podcast. Okay, cool. His son is like the scooter thing. So he goes to these like skate parks and he rides like the scooter and he's awesome. Yeah. Like he's like flipping and doing all kinds of like, I don't even know what you'd call them, but like the thing's spinning in the air. Yeah. Insane tricks. So he takes all this risk. This kid's like in these skate parks, knocked his front teeth out, like thought like the tooth went through his lip. Like, <sighs> like I was taking some major spills and point of all this is like, I always think of if you're going to get good at anything, especially from a physical standpoint, oh yeah, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get busted. Oh, yeah. And then if you don't get busted up, you're not getting good. Yeah, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah, you're not like taking enough risk with your tricks right. to bust it, to push yourself to the limit, to try. Yeah. Right. And so this is what parents... So I thought, like, I look at him and I'm like, wow, I'm like, you have to like watch your kid get in harm's way. Yeah. Take the strongest risk he can with the highest ramp he can Yep, and pray he doesn't bust his face again. You yeah. Know? And fall 10 times so he can Oof. land a trick. And then, but that's how he progresses. Yeah. Yeah. To watch that. And then you think of the opposite side of this, like a parent that doesn't let their kid do anything. No, 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 no. No, that's too dangerous. And like, won't even buy him a scooter. Yeah. No bike, no scooter. You got to stay within eyes distance. Again, I feel like we touched upon a lot of our old episodes within this. Like when I think one was the cult of safety. Yeah. That was one of our episodes, but it's this cult of safety where like everyone's like hovering over these kids. And yeah, that's just from like a scooter standpoint or from like a physical activity standpoint, but just think of like life, you know, just right. You're not letting your kid do anything. You're not letting them make decisions for themselves. Health. You're not letting your kids go outside. You're not letting them breathe fresh air. Right. I mean, we have opposite views on this, whatever, the vaccine (laughs) quarantine thing. Like to me, I think kids need to develop their immune systems. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're outside every day. They don't. Antibacterial soap. No, no antibacterial soap. Get all the bacteria in you. You need it. It's like building up defenses. Like stop washing your vegetables. Eat. I've never washed a vegetable in my life and just, I feel fine. Maybe I'll drop dead tomorrow and- (laughs) Well, Somebody not. will say, hey, <laughs> yeah, I hope not either. 
you know what I mean? It's like, I do believe in, and I think I got all of this stuff from the risk assessment that I witnessed my parents using because they were just sort of like, F everything. And they never said those words, obviously. Like they just had this attitude toward life of like, whatever, like nothing phased them. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's a great, there's also downsides to that too, because then a lot of the times you underestimate risk. Mm. You're not reacting when you should react. So as far as like with kids, I definitely think for us, there was a period of protect them constantly. You know, they're two years old and they're going to try to jump off the back of the couch. It's like every day you're just trying to keep this kid alive because they're psycho. Right. (laughs) They're like just effing crazy and they don't know that they can be injured, you know? Yeah, like their head's going to smash into concrete. They don't and- notice the hard corner on the side of the table and they just ram into it. That can kill you. <laughs> Literally, if you hit it the right way on your head. Yes. So there were years of that. And then within the past several years, it's been more of like, you need to try this. Yes, it's going to be hard. Yes, that kid's going to knock you over. Yeah, like mm-hmm. get a skateboard, you know, try to go down the ramp. Don't go down the super big one. Like right. try the little one first and just working them up to having some level of body confidence, body control, mm-hmm. willpower, a little bit of toughness. Yeah, confidence is a big one. I think confidence hits a lot of that. Like cuz body confidence, mental confidence to know that you can do something. Mm-hmm. Just knowing you could do something is a big, you know, hurdle. Yeah. You know, when you've never really done anything, then how do you know you can do anything? Exactly. I was thinking along these lines of like when we tell our kids that they're great at everything. Oh, that's fantastic. That's a great picture. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I'm like that's not a good thing for a child. <laughs> Like they need to know when things aren't good. Right. There's different times when I say like, oh, that's good, but keep working on it. You know, do you Mm -hmm. like it yet? I'll try to kind of gently prod them a little bit to keep on working. I mean, it does not look like a masterpiece at this point. I mean, we're talking like there's some scribbles on a paper. Yeah. (laughs) That's beautiful, honey. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, it's a false no matter how much you do that for a child, they get their confidence. It's a Mm self-confidence. There's nothing you can say that's going to instill confidence. They have to know they can do something internally. Like, so when it comes to a sport, if a kid came off and like didn't play well and you tell them, Oh, that was fantastic. You know, and you go on and on like that. Mm -hmm. The kid knows internally because he knows he can compare himself to what everybody else did on the fields. Right. So then it's almost like now you're a parent that's like not being honest with your kid and the kid knows that. Right. So they almost know that you're not being authentic with them. Yeah. I'm so horrified by that when I see a lot of that because I know the kid will never build any kind of self-confidence within that. Yeah. And knowledge that no matter what they say, you know, mom's just going to go, oh, yeah, it's beautiful, honey. You know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) We've started asking in the car or whatever after a soccer game or something just hey what were three things that happened during the game that you felt really good about Mm -hmm. and just leaving it open and letting him think about it and my son he tends to be more on the negative perspective and so that's my tactic for making him think of the good things he did so that he can learn to celebrate himself because he's very naturally attuned to like all the mistakes he made And we'll highlight those too. I'll say like, okay, we'll name like three mistakes you made and what you can do better next time. Mm. So we'll address both sides of it. And then after he kind of declares his three goods and three mistakes, then I'll tell him like, you know, that was a great game. You played better than you did last week. I Mm -hmm. think if you just keep working on fix those three things that you did, the next game is going to be better. Yes, of course I'm biased. Duh, it's my (laughs) kid. But I'm trying not to just be like, great, you know, that was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, right. Everything's great and awesome, but the world's giving him feedback that he's not. Right. So mom's pretty much lying to me. Right. (laughs) Right, yeah. Not that you're doing that, but that's what could happen. Like my mom used to say stuff like... I hated school. I always hated school. Like school was terrible. Like I liked it for the social aspect, but I hated sitting in a classroom just sucked. I thought, 
Hmm. I remember I'd like come home and I'd have like a bad grade in a class. And my mom would be like, ah, you're just taking the wrong subjects. Hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm taking the wrong subject. I remember like that felt good. Like, because it wasn't like I did something bad. It was just I wasn't in the right subjects. Hmm. I was like, oh, okay. For whatever reason, that helped. But that seems, I mean, I guess it's honest. I kind of like that, though, because it's a different. She didn't say, oh, honey, a 75 is great. I'm so proud of you. You're doing great. She just said in her own way that this isn't your strength. Right. Like, this isn't your strong suit. You're not going to grow up and be a historian. I'm sorry. (laughs) Right. Well, the two points where most people would take would be like, oh, it's okay. You're doing great. Or you better work a lot harder because you're not doing well at this at all. Right. And she took a completely different view of like, you're just in the wrong subjects. Yeah, which is true. I mean, I've kind of leaned into figuring out what my strengths are lately And it's hilarious because when you look at those test results or whatever, it's like all these things that are very challenging and that use a ton of my energy and that I'm just actually not good at, but I've been trying to be good at them for like five years. Right. They are my weaknesses, essentially. They're the lowest on the list. And I'm like, oh. Why am I continuing to... Yeah, just delegate that out, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, quit messing with it. Quit worrying about it. Right. My strengths are analytics, putting together components of things. Yeah. Kind of the puzzle pieces of, like, tech and behind the scenes and analysis, all of those kind of what most people would say, like, heady type skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this all makes sense. (laughs) That's so funny. I'm the opposite. Polar opposite. I hate all of that stuff. (laughs) Like I'm big picture, like more touchy feely. Like I'd like to think of big picture solutions Mm -hmm. and not get granular on anything. Right. It's so funny. We're so different. That's so funny. But I just love that she had a way of just gently steering you instead of you feeling bad about a grade or a certain subject. She was just kind of saying like, that's just not your strength. Like that's not your strong suit. Focus elsewhere. Yeah. I wasn't told that. That's for sure. Yeah. I think that's really cool. It was cool. Me and my mom had a great relationship Mm -hmm. because she was always like a hard kind of, not cold, just hard-nosed kind of woman. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like she would be honest with me, but like that was her way of being loving in some way. Like, you Mm -hmm. know what? That's not your strong suit. You know, you'll find something else that you're good at. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So in what ways would you say your unlearning risks that they took or like their... And I'm glad you're going down this road because like I wanted to talk about how most of the risk that I feel like we're afraid of is not real. Mm -hmm. We basically just drummed it up in our own minds, you know, like, mm-hmm. I think I've told you before, like the risk, you know, the risk of, or fear of the ocean. Yes. And everything, it goes back to exposure therapy. So like yeah. exposing yourself to like things that you're afraid of. So yeah, the risk with money that just came along. Cause I've been in this industry for a long time. Right. The risk with kids, again, that comes from my parents. So like, I felt like the good part of my parents was like, just go you know, don't get in trouble. Don't get caught doing anything bad, you know, but mm-hmm. that's my only rule is just go, you know? And I was like, great. Mm-hmm. I felt like I thrived in that kind of environment where I wasn't micromanaged and I wasn't, you know, I didn't have a parent over me, like constantly like hovering. Mm-hmm. I felt my personality thrived in that. So I do that with my kids. Right. I feel like they're doing well with that too, where I see a lot of other parents. It's like, Make sure you have your phone on you at all times. I want to text you and I want an immediate response. I'm like, geez, leave the freaking kid alone, will you? I mean, (laughs) let them go hang out with their friends. They got to like worry about texting you like five times a day. Mm -hmm. Anyway, where was I going with that? Just what you feel that you've done to assess risk differently than your parents, like kind of the unlearning process for you around risk. Oh, perfect. When I assess a risk... I'm always going to err on the side of, no, that's not risky. Huh. As opposed to the opposite of like, that's risky. Let me be careful. Let me err on the side of caution. Huh. I'm the opposite. Between having that back surgery and realizing that it wasn't real in my case 
And that messed something up in my head too, where I was thinking, you know, I had this real physiological problem with my body and then realizing it was a psychological thing and never having real back pain ever since. Mm. I'm like, oh, I'm conjuring up these risks that aren't risks. Interesting. And so maybe it goes into, I think you asked me, the one question you have for people that aren't vaccinated is like, why aren't you getting vaccinated? Mm. And the only answer I could give you, at least from my perspective, is I don't feel like I need it. Mm -hmm. We can get into the argument that, is it good for other people? Okay, that's fine. But for me personally, for my health, I don't feel like I need it. I feel like my body works better without adding drugs or chemicals. I feel like any drug you put in your body is 98% bad and has a couple of good side effects. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like anything you're adding... It probably isn't good. That's not like a substance that your body would naturally get. Hmm. But again, I'm not anti anything. Yeah. Everybody can do whatever they want just for me. <laughs> but yeah, it's weird because the risk assessment for me for money, like I'll take more risk mm-hmm. health. I think I take a little more risk in the sense of not being vaccinated kids. I take more risk than most parents would. Mm-hmm. Not like I'm putting them in harm's way, but I'm just giving them freedom Mm -hmm. to bump their knee and to, you know, have an interaction with a stranger, God forbid, right? You know, they actually walk to the store and some creepo was looking at them or, you know, something again, like, I don't want to put them in harm's way, but I also want to give them enough experience so that they can be strong and Mm self-confident. So to me, just from what I'm hearing, I think that you maybe intentionally unlearned the lack of risk that your parents took with money, Mm -hmm. but that you continued the way that they parented, just letting your kids have freedom and stuff like that. Like those were things that maybe you looked at and did your own risk assessment and said, no, I like it that way. I'm going to do that too, consciously or unconsciously. So it's like, I think we all take certain things that our parents do. And if we hate it and disagree with it, or if we saw like a poor result, we may do something completely opposite. But then if we're looking at things and we see that, yeah, I turned out fine. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. absolutely. So then you may continue some of those trends. And if you're self-aware enough, you can cherry pick this stuff, right? You can look back and see what worked for you, what they did. I mean, they taught you what to do and what not to do. Those are like the two different things your parents teach you, right? Right. So when you could really evaluate how that played out in your life, Mm -hmm. then I start doing it again. Our kids aren't us. Mm -hmm. So maybe the things that work for us won't work for them, but I'm at least going to start there and like see how that works. Right. Well, and that's interesting with the kid thing, because I think I've told you this before, but my husband was the last of three boys, whereas I was the oldest. Mm. So I had zero freedom and he had all the freedom. Yep. And we are trying so hard to kind of define what level of freedom we want to offer. And then what would be those kind of trust breaking moments to where your freedoms are removed? Okay. We're assuming when they're teenagers, but you know, it depends on the kids' personalities too, because sometimes you could have a personality that they are going to just push and see the limits and try to figure it out. And then you have a kid that's like a complete rule follower right? and that comes and tells you every little thing. And you're like, yeah, okay, honey, thanks for telling me, but go play. Right. It's weird because I think we both want something different than what we had. Oh. So he's leaning toward a little more control than what he had, and I'm leaning toward a little bit more freedom than what I had. Interesting. So it's kind of nice that we're meeting in the middle in a way. So the things that you didn't like what your parents did. Yes. Or that didn't serve you as a kid, maybe. You're kind of leaning toward. Yeah. Like he can definitely look back and he's like... That level of freedom definitely let me get into some situations I shouldn't have been in. So he's like, I think our kids need a little more control. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And then for me, I'm like, well, I didn't do anything like ever. And then you go to college and you're like, oh my God, there's a whole world here. Like, (laughs) what am I going to do first? (laughs) Right. You're like locked. (laughs) Right. So it's like. The oldest child syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. I was the baby. So. I got free reign. Yeah. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So now going forward, 
what are some other areas that you're noticing that there's like this risk assessment thing in your own life? Yeah. I'm always thinking of blind spots. So like overestimating Hmm. the risk level of something or underestimating. Yeah, It's hard to hit that sweet spot of knowing exactly you know, what risk level you're entering into mm-hmm. with anything, with money. On any with, subject. Yeah. Yeah. So like when I do these crazy hikes, I mean, it gets pretty like, you know, I look over the side, I'm like, it's 2000 foot drop. Yeah. Like that's, you know, I know my abilities and when you're walking like on a path and it's on the ground, <laughs> yeah. obviously you don't second guess yourself, but when you're up that high and it's the same with path. You're like, am I going to trip over my own feet right now and fall off of this 2000 foot cliff? Like you get in your own head. Yes. But again, a lot of people wouldn't do that type of hike. To me, I know myself, I feel physically confident to do that type of hike. Mm -hmm. Money. I take more risk. I mentioned health. I mean, what do I do for health where I'm taking risk? I guess maybe I drink too much. (laughs) Drink too much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a little too much alcohol. I mean, <laughs> I used to vape. Well, I used to smoke uh-huh. back in the day when I was like, you know, college. I quit smoking for many right. years and I freaking took up vaping. Uh, I don't know why. Like, I just. Well, now that's all the rage. Like, that's what the kids are doing. <sighs> yeah. Like, juuling. Well, that's when I quit. So I quit like, I don't know. I was going back like six months ago. Mm-hmm. It was so, I mean, I just felt like a teenage dirtbag. I was like, I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, I should be like 15 years old behind a dumpster, like sitting here smoking this thing. That's so funny. I just like put that into context. I'm like, I got to stop doing this. It wasn't even the health thing. It was like more of the embarrassment of being a 48 year old man that vapes, you know, like. (laughs) (laughs) Is there like an age cutoff or like what is in your head around that? Because I definitely think it's better than smoking cigarettes. It's an identity thing. It was just like, I see myself as a healthy person. Okay. I'm like, why would a healthy person be inhaling anything, you know? Uh-huh. And it's not good for you. I mean, if you compared it with actually smoking, it's not as toxic. Right. It's not much better though. It really isn't. So yeah, when it comes to health, I mean, I guess we're all trying to like better our health all the time, exercise more, eat better food. Yeah. You know. But again, if you're conscious of those things. Mm -hmm. So if you're conscious of it, yeah, you're trying to improve. If you're conscious of, you know, the stock market and your financial situation, you're going to try to make better decisions. If you're conscious of, I don't know, the meatpacking industry or whatever. Yeah. You want to be a vegetarian. Whatever it is, you're going to try to like make choices that reflect your values. Like you said, it was an identity thing. Right. The way you see yourself and it didn't fit into the way I saw myself, but it's an ongoing thing. You're always assessing. That's what we do all day long. We're assessing risk. Yeah. You know, when you're driving, you're assessing risk. Yeah. Everything you do. Yeah. This is in every way, but I was thinking about it as far as health. You know, each night if I assess whether I'm going to have a glass of wine, Mm -hmm. that one glass of wine and I'm home and I'm not going anywhere and I'm not like going to be a raging drunk or anything. Right. It feels not risky at all. Sure. Like, yes, I'm going to have that glass of wine. Sounds great. Right. And it might be good for you. Maybe. Maybe. But if not, the accumulation of having that glass of wine every day for the past 30 years, maybe that's a risk I don't know I'm taking. Right. So it's that compounding. It's that accumulation again. It is like a bad compounding, right? So like, yeah, eating junk food Mm -hmm. is okay one day. Yeah, a bag of chips doesn't sound risky, but- Eat a bag of chips every day. 365 bags of chips sounds real dangerous. I know. Yeah. (laughs) All the fun stuff is bad for you. You know, you ever get that? All the fun (laughs) stuff. It's like, you know, who wants to eat like broccoli and like, you know, meditate. Right. Like all the good stuff that's good for you is like so hard to do all the time. Mm-hmm. It's so much easier to just be unhealthy. Oh, yeah. Because it requires no effort. It's easy to be poor. It's easy to be unhealthy. But like these are all things that is it really easier? It's easier to get there. It's easy to get to poor and to get to unhealthy. It's easy to get there. But then once you're there, it's a shit life. And there's the risk. You are taking risk by not improving. Mm. Every time I talk about the word risk, I think of it from so many different angles. I'm like, we can talk in so many different ways about it. 
Mm-hmm. Because I always think in the sense of like doing and not doing, right? Yeah. And at least when it came to like health, a lot of people just like doing nothing sometimes is the right thing to do. Sometimes, yeah. I think people think they have to do something. And this more in the context of like investing your money. So once you are invested, say you've made that decision, like this is my risk level, I'm here, that's where I'm going to stay. And then you say, oh, well, maybe I should just analyze it every three months and then like Mm -hmm. reevaluates. And like the best option, as we know, is doing nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Like the dead person from the fidelity study, you know, Mm -hmm. dead people are the best investors. So doing nothing. And again, not to tie in the whole, you know, COVID thing, but I think like the best response in all of this, and you're not going to agree with this either, but I think the best response would be do nothing until you know what to do. Don't, don't just start flailing and doing things and shutting shit down and like just I feel like there was so much flailing because there was so much pressure to do something right? that they started making decisions not based on anything. It was just sort of like, well, we got to do something. Right. You know, and I think that just goes into all different aspects of life. So. so there's a book I'm reading. It's called The Lazy Genius Way. The Lazy Genius. I like that. I'm still in the middle of the book, so I'm not a complete lazy genius yet, but it's essentially... You be lazy about the things that don't matter. Okay. And you be a genius about the things that do matter. Ah. And the things that matter to me and you might be different things, but I'm going to be a genius about my things that matter, right? And then you do the same on yours. Yep. And so one of the principles is to decide once. Mm -hmm. Once you make that decision, that's your decision. That's it. Don't go back and forth uh-huh. because that stress is in the indecision. It's in the, it is. oh, do I do it? Do I not? Oh, okay. Today I'm going to do it. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have like back and forth. It's the rumination, right? Just constantly being in it. Yeah. Yes. So her first principle is decide once. I like that. So whether that is we're going to have pizza every Friday, that's the decision. That's how it's going to be from now forward. What about on big decisions, like buying a house or something? I don't know. So I think the way it struck me from what you were just saying earlier is like you decided once when you initiated your investment into say the stock market or that fund or whatever. Yeah. Now don't mess with it again. You set up that automation. You made a decision. Right. Leave it. Right. (laughs) You don't need to decide again. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the argument is like, oh, but you're uninformed. What if new information comes out? Blah, blah, blah. Right? Right. You can drive yourself. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's... And I think she used it as like, say Monday mornings are stressful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Decide that you're going to wear some variation of a black shirt and blue jeans okay. every Monday. Make it simple. Decision's done. That's no... Yeah. No thought energy goes into that. Exactly. So just different little things. Like if you decide that this is how it is and that this is the best way, make that decision one time and you don't have to waste your brain power on it ever again. So in that way, you get to be lazy, but you were genius about it when you first made the decision. Do you find it hard to do put it into practice in reality though? I mean... Um, Not yet. I mean, I haven't made any like life-changing decisions here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. We're talking about clothes in the morning. But little things like we were already doing pizza on Friday nights. And Mm. so I just said, huh, forget it. Like I'm never deciding what's for dinner on Friday night again. That's what it is. That's what we're doing. Yeah. And then I have a dog walker come. He comes on Tuesdays and I'm just like, all right, that's it. I don't need to decide like, oh, which day am I going to have him come this week? Which day works best with my schedule? No, he's coming on Tuesdays. That's it. Yeah. So just whatever I can do to like quit being in my own head about something or now you said to buy a house or something. I'm not sure about that one. I mean, that's a really large decision. Well, I think like you could spend time analyzing the reasons, pros and cons or whatever. And then, but once you come to a decision, right? don't then second guess it, right? I have a tough time with that. I do. Maybe you could decide once on, all right, I need four bedrooms, two bathrooms, a yard, no pool, 
whatever your criteria are and then don't budge on your criteria. Right. right. Don't be like, ah, oh, well, this one has three and an office. And so maybe we could make it work. <laughs> no, because you're just going to stress yourself out again. Right. And you're not going to be happy with what you wind up purchasing. So maybe you could do it in that way. Maybe it's like. Yeah. Well, what about like retirement numbers? Like when you think of, you know, the dollar amounts, mm. like I need $2 million to retire. But what happens is, and I've seen this happen, like once they. It's a moving target. Well, there you go. Right. So then where's <laughs> you've made your decision and then you went back on your decision after you made it to the goal. Yes. It's tough. It's a weird thing because I feel like. It's against human nature to do like what you're saying Mm -hmm. in some ways, because like we're constantly analyzing. Yeah. And we're constantly trying to see the tiger behind the bush. (laughs) Most of the time it's never there, but for that one time you're going to get eaten alive. Right. And so you got this fear kind of, Yeah. did I miss something? Did I make a decision? When you're talking about clothes, what you're wearing in the morning and pizza on Friday, that's- Those are easy, right? Well, comparably to like maybe buying a house or like what's your final retirement number? And I think it works well for someone who struggles with making decisions. Mm -hmm. So in our family anyways, I'm the decision maker and my husband is always like, well, what do you think? Well, what, you know, I was thinking this, but then what do you think? And I'm like, oh dear God, just choose. (laughs) What do you, don't ask me what I think. You already said this. That's what's happening. And so I'm very... You want them to decide. Yeah, I tend to just like draw the line hard and fast. But uh, say if you're someone who struggles with that, if you make it a practice to make decisions Mm -hmm. and stick to them and don't wishy-washy wonder what you should have done, it may become easier with large decisions. Well, there's the exposure therapy, right? So you're doing little ones. Start with the little decisions. Yes. Walk down to your mailbox first, then walk down the end of your street. Right. You don't have to like do the marathon right out of the gate. It's a good point. It doesn't have to be this strung out goal. Yeah. To wrap up our risk assessment, how do you determine your risk tolerance when it comes to things? Like, do you have a sort of a a go-to, like, how do you analyze risk, generally speaking, in your life? Hmm. When it comes to like a financial choice as far as say car insurance. Mm -hmm. If I know that I can cover $2,000 worth of damage on my own and I have that in savings, I'm probably just going to get liability only because I already feel like I have it covered Okay. to an extent. And if I'm liable, then it's my dang fault anyways. Right. So I take a, like a prepared risk stance. Right. You're not underinsuring or overinsuring. You're trying to get the right amounts. Oh, yeah. And that's the analysis side of me. I'm very mm-hmm. like, well, what will happen if this? What will happen if that? And I try to run through the scenarios. That's interesting. And if I can come up with a solution for almost every scenario, then that's how I make my decision. Yep. And I underinsure. So, yeah. <laughs> again, knee jerk reaction is that's going to be fine. <laughs> You're fine. Rub some dirt on it. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I try to, like we were saying, the skateboarding. I was telling my son, like, look, dude, you are going to fall. Yeah. It's just a fact. There's no one gets on a skateboard and does not bust their ass. Right. <laughs> it's going to happen. And it's going to hurt. <laughs> yes. And so if you get on expecting that, you're going to be okay because you already knew it was going to happen. Don't start with the giant ramp. Start with the small ramp. When you feel comfortable on the small ramp, move to the medium ramp. Yes. So I'm like this very like analytical, like stair-stepped kind of Mm -hmm. risk type of person. Yeah. See, I think part of my reason for being underinsured and taking more risk is I'm impatient in a lot of ways too. Like I've been impatient for the last two years. I've been traveling a lot because like it's being told what to do Uh is a big deal for me. Like I do not like being, I think people in general don't like being told what to do. So where'd you get that from? Is that? I think it was a parental thing. It was just sort of like, don't worry about anything. Everything's fine. Unless you're bleeding out the eyes, everything in your life is fine. Don't let people instill fear in you. Yeah. You know, it's more like that, like instilling fear. Like I have a negative reaction to any like fear mongering, like anything like that. Or any intimidation, fear-mongering, my natural reaction is to like 
be completely against that. And I do kind of get that, but it's just so funny that we have obviously completely different backgrounds and perspectives on so many different things, but yeah, I definitely have that thing where I like do not want to be told what to do and I will react to the complete opposite. See? Even if it's like an attempt to be supportive of a goal that I already set. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That's funny. I see it all the time in relationships. So funny. I think that's why there's all this polarization in the world is because there's this natural reaction. People do not want to be told what to do. No, in general. mm -mm. Until politicians and our government, until they all start to realize that that is the wrong strategy. Yeah. It's just going to constantly be this like butting heads of, you can't tell people what to do. Yeah, It just doesn't work. You could persuade You can manipulate, I guess, but I mean, (laughs) persuasion is really like the, you know, you got to like get people, talk to people. Yeah. Get them on board with your views. Yeah. Anyway, we're all over the place here. All right, everyone. Well, that was risk assessments. Well, tune in. I don't know. Next month, I guess. Every two weeks to a month. Yeah. Tune into the next one. So happy holidays and uh, we'll talk to you next time. 